Father, this week we've all been stunned once again by that hideous enemy, death, which has interrupted our lives and reminded us of our own mortality. Nevertheless, we find our only hope in your promise that death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. O God, who brought us into existence at our conception, and in whose arms we die, in our present grief and shock, embrace and comfort us with your love. Give us hope in our confusion and grace to trust you through Jesus Christ. Father, you govern all things in heaven and earth with infinite wisdom and mercy, and you bring good out of evil. We confess that we have many questions, for we are but children. Help us now to rest in the answers that you have revealed, especially knowing that you work all things together for good for those who love you and who are called according to your purpose. Have mercy upon this congregation, for we have many sorrows and our faith is now tested. We've lost a faithful servant to your church. Raise up more to follow in his steps. Grant to us your peace that passes understanding. Especially, Father, show your tender mercy toward Becky, Caleb, Jessica, Asher, Eli, and all the other members of the Ramsey family. Surround them with your love and the love and care of your people. Grant them peace. May they find their comfort in Christ and in the sure and certain hope of the resurrection. You, O Lord, have promised in your word, I will never leave you or forsake you, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man can do to me. You have the whole world in your hands. In our deepest afflictions and grief, we find unspeakable comfort in knowing that you are our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. O Lord, make us to know our end and the measure of our days that we might know just how frail we really are. May we reflect on the vanity, brevity, and uncertainty of life, and may we pursue those things which are unseen and eternal. May we seek the pardon of our sins and the sanctification of our lives with all the diligence that their infinite importance demands. And may each of us be found serving Christ, loving our neighbors, and prepared to stand in your presence. Let your Holy Spirit prevail over our wills and understandings, our afflictions, our interests, and our hopes, that we may conduct ourselves in a manner that is pleasing and honoring to your name. We come now to sit under your infallible word and to consider the joy which appeared in this fallen world when Christ was born. Amen. Please rise for the reading of God's Word from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. Hear now God's Word. 
Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angel had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. And thus far the reading of God's word and all God's people said. Amen. You may be seated. On Wednesday morning, our little part of the world was rocked hard with the sudden death of a key man in our lives. Many of you are keenly aware of that fact, and others might not be as cognizant of just how much Steve Ramsey did for others, mostly behind the scenes. Not just because he held the office of a deacon, but because he actually was a deacon, which means servant. I'll have much more to say about Steve at tomorrow's funeral service. But last Wednesday morning, just before receiving Becky's text message to come, I had told Marinelle that I was making good progress on this Sunday's Advent sermon on the topic of joy. Suddenly, the prospect of preaching on joy seemed impossible with the shock and the subsequent grief. My first thought was, there is no way I could preach on joy this Sunday. That would be incongruous. But after prayer and reflection, it became clear to me that I must preach on this subject. For the real substance of joy is in the face of despair. And it's at the core of the gospel. As I preached two weeks ago, to be without Christ is to be without hope in the world. And if we have no hope, it would be impossible for us to find any real joy. Perhaps one could muster a stoic acceptance of a heartless material universe grinding away at us until we became nothing. But you and I know And we all know, because we're made in the image of God, you and I know that there is far more to life than just animated molecules. 
And what we lost on Wednesday was a person who loved deeply and was deeply loved. And that love gives us hope and hope gives us joy and all that is all of that is centered in Jesus Christ. And one more thing. Scripture teaches us that the joy of the Lord is our strength. So with that preface, here's today's Advent sermon on joy. Joy can mean many things like most words, but today I want to use the word the way the Bible uses the word. The angels brought a message to the shepherds of great joy. This was a joyous message not only for the shepherds, but our text tells us that it was a message for all the people. It was for these individuals, it was for these shepherds, but it was also for many others. Joy in the Bible is associated with the idea of Gladness, or I like the idea of the word satisfaction. Um, Peter speaks of a joy inexpressible and full of glory. So joy is not necessarily a smile on your face or a grin. It's not that kind of thing. It's not just happiness. It goes deeper than that. It's not superficial. For example, James tells us to count it all joy when we fall into various trials, which is which at first glance just seems crazy. And it is crazy unless there is something bigger and better going on over and above those trials. Joy is a satisfaction that comes from seeing that the story, even if you happen to be in a bad chapter or in a bad moment, seeing that the story has a happy ending. It is being able to see beyond the moment. This is how the Bible describes how Jesus found joy in his darkest moment. Hebrews 12:2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So the the message of the angels to the shepherds was one of great joy to them and to the world because of its far-reaching and overarching implications. An actual Savior, which is Christ the Lord, had now had been born That very day, better news could not be conceived of. The Gospel of Luke gives us the most detailed story of the birth of Christ. And if we pay attention, it also gives us, not only the shepherds, but it also gives each of us great joy. The world is about to meet Jesus. God in the flesh, and in meeting and receiving Him, the most desperate life had now an overarching reason to rejoice. Let's back up and take take up the story with the birth of John the Baptist and an angel who appears to his father, Zechariah, and tells him this, Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. 
and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will also go before him, referring to Christ, in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So even before John was born, the message was a message of joy. Through this angel, the Lord promised that people would rejoice at the birth of John, and the reason they would rejoice at the birth of John is because he was going to be the one that declared the coming king, the advent of Christ. Rejoice, the king is coming into the world to save sinners and to spread his joy. Now, I love this part of the story. Elizabeth, who's pregnant with John the Baptist, meets up with her niece Mary, who is pregnant with Jesus, and here's what we read in Luke 1:41. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leapt for joy in her womb. That was John the Baptist in utero. So not only does this reveal something about these little human beings in their mother's wombs, but it also shows us something about the joy that comes with the presence of Jesus. This brings us to today's text, which happens to be happens on the very night when Jesus was born. And the situation is very instructive, ending with a heavenly choir that is singing their version of joy to the world. And if we continue to read the Gospel of Luke, we'll see that Luke has more to say about joy, even th- when things were not looking so good. For example, Jesus will tell his disciples that they'll need to look beyond their momentary difficulties and see the promise of God, promises of God. In Luke 6, he says, Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. This is the same Greek word that was used to describe the in utero John the Baptist leaping for joy when Mary came into the room and Jesus came into the room. Now Jesus says when you have trials, when you have difficulties, you're going to also be able to leap for joy because you're going to see the big picture. You're going to see me at work in you. So let's go to the fields. Let's zoom in on the scene in the fields outside of Bethlehem the night Jesus was born. In our day, the birth of royalty is announced mainly through mass media. But in the olden days, as we used to say, the birth of royalty would have gone out first to the elites of society. But God likes to throw curveballs and do things his way, and so he makes the first birth announcement about his son to some obscure shepherds out in a field. Perhaps we could imagine this being done for some loggers or dock workers. Luke 2.8 doesn't tell us much about who they were. They were just some shepherds living out in a field. Now, we might have a poetic view of shepherds. 
In the Bible, Abel was the first to have this job, followed by Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and, of course, David. God even calls himself a shepherd, and we're compared to sheep, which, of course, means we're dumb and stinky. At the time of the birth of Jesus, there was nothing poetic or beautiful about shepherds. They were thought of as being at the bottom of the social ladder. They were low class. They generally lived out, which meant they were socially isolated. They moved around a lot. They were nomadic. As a group, shepherds were not trusted. They were generally held in contempt. In other words, they were rough and tough. Think of cowboy wranglers out on the trail. So this is who God decided to announce the good news to in the middle of the night. But when we think about it, this really isn't that unusual. God apparently likes paradox and surprise. Remember what Jesus said, those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. We'll see in the ministry of Jesus that he reached out to uh, the very people who were despised by society, like Zacchaeus and Levi and prostitutes, the lame, the blind, the sick, the demon-possessed, strangers, and even Samaritans. So even in the birth of Jesus, he is born in a stable and he's announced to shepherds. And Mary captures this in her song that we've sung, the Magnificat, that's recorded in Luke chapter 1. In verse 52, that one line says, He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. Paul describes how God typically operates this way. In 1 Corinthians 1 For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are so that no flesh should glory in his presence. So back to our shepherd story. God goes to the marginalized to demonstrate his power. He's sovereign. He can do it however he wants to. The good news are the glad tidings. Um, Euangelizo is the Greek word, and it's where we get our word evangelism. It was for sinners like us. So let's take a look at how these lowly shepherds responded to this message of great joy. The first thing we see about these shepherds is they were just ordinary men doing their jobs. Luke 2.8, now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Day after day, night after night, they were doing their routine work. They apparently had three shifts a day. But we also noticed that they were attentive and faithful since they were keeping watch. It seems that several shepherds had brought their flocks together at night in order to make it easier to guard them. That would have been a common practice 
It also seems that part of what God was communicating in this story is that he meets us where we are. He comes to us, often unexpectedly. These shepherds were not out looking for God, but God knew right where they were, and he knows right where you and I are as well. You can run, but you can't hide. And this reminds me of this part of Psalm 139. Where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? David asked God. If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be as light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. So God made you, and you are not insignificant to him any more than these shepherds were insignificant to him. And part of what's encouraging about this story is that the shepherds didn't have to go clean themselves up first to have an encounter with God. God does all the washing. God's message of good tidings of great joy is for you too. Right where you are. I would imagine that some of these shepherds had done and said some really bad things in their lives. But they were still created in the image of God and they, like you and me, were in desperate need of a Savior. And it's this very message that would bring them so much joy. Next, we see that while they were being attentive to their sheep, they were suddenly startled by this unexpected angelic announcement. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. The word angel means messenger. In this case, it's a messenger from heaven. But God has many ways of sending messengers to you. In other words, angels come in many forms, even people. Hebrews 13.2 says, Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, some have unwittingly entertained angels. God meets us where we are. He interrupts us. And he often changes our plans. He speaks in a variety of ways, not always the expected way. When he spoke to Elijah, God said, Go out and stand on the mountain before Yahweh. And behold, Yahweh passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before Yahweh, but Yahweh was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but Yahweh was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but Yahweh was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. In Hebrew, a delicate whispering voice. Well, on the night of Christ's birth, it was not a delicate whispering voice. The glory of the Lord shone round them. And they were greatly afraid. It's, pretty, it's a pretty normal response for people who have a genuine encounter with God to tremble. He's holy and we're not. 
When the prophet Isaiah encountered God, this is what he said. Woe is me, I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people with unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, Yahweh of hosts. And when Peter began to realize who Jesus was, he had this response in Luke 5, 8. He fell down at Jesus' knees and said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And when Saul heard from Jesus on the road to Damascus, trembling and astonished, he said, Lord, what do you want me to do? So when God or his messenger shows up in your life, expect a dramatic result. Perhaps God is about to speak in judgment and these shepherds are suddenly remembering their own sins. We can't know exactly what they were thinking, but we do know that they were greatly afraid. And these men were not sissies. They were men who worked at night and dealt with vicious predators. I'm wondering if you've ever had any kind of encounter with God that has brought you to your knees. We should also notice that This backdrop of awe and fear sets the stage for them to receive and accept this astonishing message. The angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. There's nothing to fear. This is the best of news. In fact, it was the best news these shepherds had ever heard. And whether you know it or not, it is the best news you'll ever hear either. You see, there would be a lot to fear if there was no Savior ever ever born. Bring, he's bringing you glad tidings. That phrase is literally the Greek word from which, as I mentioned earlier, we get the word evangelize. This is truly good news of great joy. And the Greek word here for great joy, the word great is mega, which means exceedingly large, loud, and mighty. This was mega joy. This wasn't regular joy. I remember an old Baptist preacher who was rather humorous. Somebody asked him what gross darkness was, and he said it's 144 times darker than regular darkness. Well, this was great joy. John Wycliffe translates it this way. I evangelize to you a great joy. A joyless believer is a contradiction in terms. First, we're told that the mega joy is for all people. And then the next verse uses... The very personal pronoun, you. The angels said to these shepherds, For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. That means this mega joy is also for you. Now, if that wasn't enough to make the point, God then had assembled a heavenly choir 
as a uh, sudden and spectacular crescendo. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So what now? You know that you know that genuine faith has gripped hearts when the word of God is received and acted upon. Later, the Apostle Paul will commend the believers at Thessalonica when he wrote, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. So God has given His Son. He's given you a Savior. Now you must receive that gift and, and by faith and act on it. These shepherds didn't just accept and enjoy the message they received. They got up and did something. In verse 15, So it was when the angel had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph in the babe lying in a manger. Their, their response was immediate and it was urgent. Let's get going. It's pretty apparent that, the, that there wasn't any doubt or debate, but instead they decided to act and move. And so this heavenly birth announcement motivated them to want to see and know more about this Savior. So they headed for Bethlehem to see for themselves. These unclean, stinky shepherds came to a stable to see the Holy of Holies lying on a bed of hay. It's very possible, if not likely, that these shepherds had been caring for sheep that were going to be sacrificed in Jerusalem's temple. It's one of those beautiful ironies of God's story that these shepherds leave their sheep behind to visit the Lamb of God. A thousand years earlier, David kept watch over his father's sheep in some of these same pastures, and now they will see the son of David that was born in the city of David. It's a long story, right? God's been unfolding this for a long time, all the advent, all the stories, all the pictures, all the, all the things we have recorded in the Old Testament pointing to this night, this moment. And so, having seen Jesus, they now spoke about what they had seen, not unlike the blind man that Jesus healed in John 9. Now, when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning the child. They too brought good tidings of great joy to all people. They became the angels, the messengers. And if you're a believer sitting here today, it's because these shepherds could not keep quiet. Saving faith is living faith, or as James puts it, faith without works is dead. 
It reminds us of when Peter and John had been hauled in before the Sanhedrin after the resurrection, and they were hauled in, they were told not to preach anymore. So they called them in, Acts 4.18, and commanded them not to speak at all or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we've seen and heard. Now, there's an interesting footnote here. After their run to Bethlehem, the shepherds returned to work the next day. No doubt they returned as changed men. It says in verse 20, they returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen. But they still had jobs to do. God takes ordinary people like you and me, and he scatters us all over the place to be his witnesses, to be salt and light. You remember Jesus told his disciples after his appearance to them after the resurrection in Acts 1, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And here we are. It took about 2,000 years for this gift of a Savior to arrive on our doorstep. So if you've heard and seen this Savior, which is Christ the Lord, then I urge you to make haste to tell someone about what you've heard and seen, to give them good tidings of great joy. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, you are above us, beyond us, around us, beneath us, within us. We sense within ourselves some remnant of goodness, and we long for more. We see some beauty around us and desire an increase in what we see. We know some truth and are hungry for more. And yet in this fallen world lurks evil in our own hearts and our neighborhoods. The truth has been exchanged for a lie. Ugliness has defaced the lovely and slaughtered innocence, and the world gropes in darkness. You are the source of all that is good and beautiful and true. So we thank you, for you have already given us what we need in Christ. We thank you for sending your light, our Lord Jesus, the light of the world, As we see more goodness to create more beauty, we seek more goodness to create more beauty and to know more truth, let us remember that you have already found us and that as we live in your Son and by the Holy Spirit, the sense of your presence will grow. In that presence, goodness, beauty, and truth will come. Joy to the world. The Savior reigns. Lord Jesus, you are the light of the world. Search us even into the darkest recesses. Then come, live there full of grace and truth all the days of our lives until you come again. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Christians, what do you believe? We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And we believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. As I mentioned, over the last few days, we have felt the shock and the dismay of death, which is the ugliest of interruptions. The angel startled the shepherds, and the angel of death startled us. And that grim messenger will continue to startle us. 1 Corinthians 15 says, But this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. And this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption... And this mortal has put on immortality. Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, since all these things are true about death, about resurrection, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. The story of the world meeting Jesus in the flesh is a story of the world finding their full joy in God. Those who rejoice at Jesus' coming will suffer in this life, but their weakness, pain, and misery here are as nothing compared with the glories they have, they have already in the presence of the Lord. 
Those who have a Savior have nothing to fear, nothing to lose, and everything to gain. Everything already waiting for them in heaven with God. Jesus said, Rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Joy to the world. The baby born in Bethlehem was born to die in our place. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He died to purchase the joy that the angels announced at his birth. And three days later, after the crucifixion, he rose from the dead, the firstborn of all who would follow him. O Lord, what comfort, what assurance, what blessing, what boldness comes from knowing that you have given your Christ to the world and also given him all authority in heaven and on earth, that you have committed all judgment and rule to him, indeed, that he is the only mediator between you and us. You have given us a great prophet. His word shall not return to him empty, but shall accomplish that which he pleases and prosper in the thing to which he sends it to do. Bring to our minds your word so that we can answer the evil one and resist temptation. You have given us a great high priest. He is surely a merciful and faithful high priest and is available to men as a mediator, intercessor, and help in trouble. Since he partook of our very nature, he knows the trials and the temptations of this life. Let us be very aware today of the reality of Christ's true humanity and let us live in the strength of his aid. You have given us a great king. He is the one to whom every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. Rule over us, O Christ, and cause us to acknowledge more and more your lordship over every area of our lives. For surely he is the king of kings and lord of lords, and you have given him the nations for his inheritance. May we live today in the light of who Christ is, that He, what he has done and what he is now doing and what he will continue to do until his reign is recognized and acknowledged by all. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen.